This is ASHA Voices. I'm J.D. Gray. We're continuing our series of conversations about the influence of artificial intelligence on audiology and speech-language pathology, with a look at what artificial intelligence might mean for people with swallowing disorders. Vanderbilt University's Kara Donohue shares her experience with the tech before discussing implications and practical applications. Plus, hear why Kara describes the role of engineers and interprofessional collaboration as essential. I'm J.D. Gray. This is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's online conference, Rethinking Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing. This continuing education opportunity begins November 29th. Save $50 when you register by October 18th. Learn more at on.asha.org slash pedfeeding23. Joining me is Kara Donohue. Kara is an assistant professor at Vanderbilt University and the director of medical speech language pathology at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center. In November, just one day ahead of the ASHA convention in Boston, Kara and other SLPs will be presenting on artificial intelligence and swallowing disorders as a part of Meet the Masters, an annual conference for SLPs focused on swallowing and swallowing disorders. To begin our conversation, I asked Kara to share her experience with AI and how it fits into her goals as a clinician and a researcher. So I was first introduced to artificial intelligence when I began the PhD program at University of Pittsburgh under the mentorship of Jim Coyle in the computational deglutition lab, which we kind of created that term. And our lab essentially consisted of a unique collaboration between a group of speech language pathologists and computer and electrical engineers. And research work within our lab focused on applying signal processing and machine learning techniques to dysphagia screening assessment and treatment via a non-invasive sensor-based technology. And we essentially termed this sensor high-resolution cervical auscultation, or HRCA for short. You know, we love our uh, abbreviations and acronyms in the field of speech pathology. And we had a sensor that essentially consisted of a contact microphone and a triaxial accelerometer. And so we were working on validating use of this sensor. And so in order to do that, we obtained simultaneous acoustic and vibratory signals during swallowing from the sensor while also performing concurrent video fluoroscopy. And from that, we were able to compare machine learning predictions of different swallowing events that happened by using signal features from the acoustic and vibratory signals as input. And then we would compare them to how humans, which was me and some of the other people in the lab, would rate gold standard video fluoroscopy images. And through that work, we've just found that HRCA signal features and complex machine learning techniques can essentially differentiate safe versus unsafe swallows and also detect various important temporal and spatial kinematic events that occur during swallowing, such as hyoid bone displacement and laryngeal vestibule closure and upper esophageal sphincter opening and closing, amongst a whole host of other things. At the basic level, what did you learn about how the machines compare to clinicians, like yourself and the other SOPs you worked with? Yeah, so that's a great question. We found kind of varying levels of accuracy with some of the different algorithms that we have developed. However, a large majority of them have performed with very close accuracy to human judges. And even when we look at kind of gold standard human judge ratings of video fluoroscopy, we do have kind of some wiggle room or what we would expect to be some room for error, so to speak. So using kind of similar comparison metrics, we've been able to find that many of these machine learning algorithms perform with 
a very similar level of accuracy to, to human judges, which is quite exciting. And our engineers always tell us too that, you know, the more data that we have, the more accurate that they can get the machine learning algorithms to be as well. So I think it's exciting to kind of continue to build upon this work too. So kind of early days, it sounds like for this, as far as it's not necessarily in the hands of clinicians working in the field, eventually, do you think AI will be able to detect things that human clinicians may have trouble recognizing? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think in some ways, we're getting closer to that clinical implementation of actually being able to use AI within clinical settings. And certainly in other fields that are kind of related, there's been more integration of AI, I think, into clinical practice. But I think there's a few different advantages of utilizing AI within clinical settings. So one potentially with dysphagia assessment is that it can actually provide more detailed information regarding swallowing physiology in a more efficient manner. For example, would be tracking the body of a hyoid bone on every swallow during a video fluoroscopy swallow study is not really feasible clinically because it can take almost 20 minutes per swallow to analyze. And this is something that we do in research labs where we actually click on the body of the hyoid bone on every single frame of a swallow. However, we've been able to develop these machine learning techniques that can actually track the body of the hyoid bone on each frame during a swallow, which can provide you with more fine-grained information about the movement of the hyoid bone. And we've done this with other types of temporal and spatial swallow kinematics events as well. And in addition to this, one thing that we also do within clinical settings is that human judges have to actually perform analysis of video fluoroscopy images after the assessment. So we use, like I said, frame-by-frame analysis to actually go through swallow studies to make sure that we don't miss anything that's important from kind of a functional standpoint, from swallowing safety and efficiency and just the movement and swallowing physiology that we observe during the exam. However, AI has the potential to actually provide more contemporaneous information, which could allow for more dynamic assessments with more real-time information, such as determining whether biofeedback impacts performance during a swallowing evaluation. Wow, that would be pretty amazing. Yeah, I think it's exciting. And I think it's a way that um, we could actually perhaps even limit how many times we need to perform swallowing evaluations as well. So if you can actually get more information and kind of even be able to on the fly use biofeedback, for example, during a swallow evaluation, because you have that information available to you right away, it could be really beneficial for even training people in the moment. You mentioned biofeedback and you've mentioned tools and sensors and working with engineers. Can you talk to me a little bit about working with engineers as an SLP? Sure. Yeah. So we worked very closely with computer and electrical engineers in the computational deglutition lab. And I think that engineers are absolutely essential to moving the field forward, especially in this area. And I think like many areas of clinical research work, it's really key to have a multidisciplinary team that's made up of individuals who have different areas of expertise. And for us, it was really key to have weekly meetings where we could actually discuss the clinical relevance of different projects and how we could answer specific research questions together. And there were a few different ways that our engineering colleagues really helped us. One was with elements of study design. As I mentioned before, machine learning does require rather large data sets in order to 
be more accurate. And so it was helpful having feedback from our engineering colleagues sometimes to know what would be feasible in terms of the number of swallows or the number of patients maybe that we needed to enroll in specific research studies. They were also really essential for the analysis aspects of things. So actually helping us with performing the signal feature analysis and really complex machine learning techniques. And then they also helped us with interpreting the findings from our data in a way that was still accurate and not watering down information too much, but at the same time was understandable to clinicians and other healthcare professionals that are less familiar with things like signal processing and machine learning because they are pretty complicated at times. And so it's really challenging sometimes to strike that balance of making sure you explain things fully, but also can get it into the hands of clinicians and patients and other people who can understand and really translate that into practice. As we talk about artificial intelligence, you've been putting the role of the clinician and the patient prominent in this conversation. I know a lot of times we'll read headlines about artificial intelligence. You know, will it uh, potentially take a job? Here you're saying this can work as a tool to perhaps inform the clinician and also create a better experience for the patient. Yeah, I think that's a really common misconception. And I'm glad that you brought that up, actually, in our conversation. I really think of AI and dysphagia management as just another tool that we can use, just like many other things that we use to evaluate and provide treatment to individuals who do have swallowing disorders. And like I mentioned, while AI can be useful by providing more detailed or efficient information, clinicians do really play an integral role in interpreting this information helping with actually training patients, providing counseling, and determining an individualized care plan for patients. And I think there's kind of this whole other skill set that clinicians really bring to the table to dysphagia therapy that's just so important and really goes beyond simply providing objective information. I think there's so many other factors that go into play um, that do really bring that important human element to care and really working together with patients to help figure out, you know, what motivates them, what are their goals, and not just solely relying on the objective data that we obtain from the assessments that we do. We've had conversations on the podcast in the past about kind of the sensitive nature of swallowing disorders, that eating and swallowing can relate to quality of life and cultural values. And on the podcast, we've discussed social determinants of health and how that can relate to treating, feeding, and swallowing. And there's risk factors, right? I mean, uh, pneumonia is one that's commonly discussed, but anytime where someone's having trouble swallowing, yeah, there's, there's a risk involved. Uh, I have to think that many people would find it comforting or necessary to have that human element that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I think you bring up some really important aspects of swallowing and swallowing disorders. And certainly one of the reasons why I was drawn to this aspect of the field in the first place is, like you mentioned, there are so many elements that go into it. Most of our social activities that we have do revolve around things like eating and drinking, whether it's going to happy hour with friends after work or having dinner with your family on the weekend um, or any other number of special occasions or events that we maybe look forward to throughout the year. And so I do think that there is that really important human element too with any aspect of um, dysphagia assessment and treatment of creating realistic goals and also really considering people holistically. You know, it's not just simply treating um, a disorder, but it is, you know, treating the patient holistically and figuring out 
what the things are that are most important to them and how we can best kind of work together to reach their goals. And like you said, certainly there are some risks of adverse outcomes that can be associated with dysphagia, but there's a whole host of other risk factors too that play into some of those adverse outcomes. And so even just figuring out strategic ways that we can mitigate some of those risk factors can be really helpful. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we talk about the accuracy of AI and further discuss biofeedback tools. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's online conference, Rethinking Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing. From November 29th to December 11th, this continuing education opportunity will help you rethink your current practice patterns and expand your knowledge to achieve the best outcomes for your patients. You can earn up to 2.85 ASHA CEUs, save $50 when you register by October 18th. Learn more at on.asha.org pedfeeding23. Outside of uh, assessment and detection, what else do you think AI can offer clinicians and patients with swallowing disorders, either now or in the future? Yeah, so I think there's already some emerging research evidence that's also showing that there's potential for AI, like I mentioned previously, to perhaps provide real-time biofeedback in treatment for um, patients as well. And this could be really useful not just actually within the clinical setting, but could also potentially help with carryover and generalization of treatment with individuals at home, or could even allow for better treatment remotely, for example, with clinicians as well. So even perhaps doing things like telehealth sessions, but having a system that could actually monitor the person in person in the comfort of their own home. And having that flexibility with treatment would be really advantageous for a variety of patient populations, but certainly many individuals who do have dysphagia do have other health kind of comorbidities or other conditions, which sometimes can make it challenging for them even to come in person for treatment on a regular basis. And so I think that that has potential to be really helpful. I also am really excited just in general. I think there is more interest related to AI applications in medical settings overall. And I know in a lot of various fields, they're starting to develop even some monitoring systems within ICU settings, for example, to be able to more closely monitor patients and intervene before you know adverse events happen. And I think that it's going to be a really cool way to collaborate with other healthcare professionals too. So perhaps even figuring out ways to, for example, better monitor patients during a meal. For so many of our patients, we maybe provide recommendations even in terms of compensatory strategies or things that they need to do while eating and drinking in order for it to be more safe and efficient. But sometimes just due to staffing issues or other challenges, patients don't always have a caregiver or someone else present during their meal to actually remind them and reinforce those strategies. So I think that could be really useful as well. And I also just think with so many systems moving to these big electronic health record systems, I think that there's a lot of ways to be really strategic within clinical settings and to be implementing validated standardized clinical care practices which will then allow for these really large scale data sets that we can even, you know, retrospectively go back and look at patient outcomes, for example, um, using those validated dysphagia tools and just look at their overall health outcomes. And I think that 
as are hopefully in the future, I, you know, grand ideas. It would be so great if so many of those electronic health record systems could actually communicate with one another too, so that we could get really large data sets that we then would be able to help identify even more risk factors or ways that perhaps we can intervene or help people recover better when they do have dysphagia. Is there anything else you want other SLPs to know about AI? I do think one important thing is to not be afraid of AI or to be afraid of it replacing clinicians. I think AI has great potential as another tool for us to use to provide beneficial care to patients. And I think another one, I guess, that I would also emphasize is that similar to humans, AI doesn't necessarily need to have perfect accuracy in order to still be able to provide benefit or some information. And so I think just sometimes thinking about AI pragmatically and how it can best be used as a tool. And just like any other tool that we use clinically, it's really important to critically evaluate the situation and the patient that you're working with and figure out, okay, is this a time that this would be appropriate to use? Because it's not necessarily always appropriate, but I think there certainly are a lot of useful applications for it in general. In November, you'll be sharing information on AI as a part of the annual Meet the Masters program, joined by other SLPs for this. The presentation takes place November 15th in Boston, just ahead of convention. Would you want to share a little bit about that program? Yeah, so I think it's going to be a really exciting program. We have a few different speakers who are going to be involved in that. So Jim Coyle, Irvin Sadich, Giselle Carnaby, and Chala Contrasegal. And I'm really looking forward to presenting with all of them. We have kind of a whole host of different topics that we'll be covering related to dysphagia and artificial intelligence, ranging from assessment and how accurate it is, as well as how clinicians can best utilize it. And then we'll be answering some panel-based questions as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, It should be a great presentation and should cover kind of a wide variety of different topics and highlight some of the recent exciting emerging work in the literature related to dysphagia and AI. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about related to artificial intelligence, dysphagia, your career, your research, anything else that you might want to discuss? I guess I would just say that I think there's a lot of great work that's emerging, not just from the Computational Deglutition Lab at University of Pittsburgh, but from lots of other research labs kind of across the country. And I think it's just a really exciting time, both as a clinician and as a researcher in the field of dysphagia in general. And I think that there's more clinical researchers that are really investigating use of technology in dysphagia management and rehab. And I just really hope to see more technology move from research to market and to actually get into the hands of clinicians to be able to use in future years, particularly methods that are inexpensive and non-invasive types of technologies, I think would be useful in a wide variety of clinical settings. And just kind of more broadly throughout the world, a lot of areas in the world have pretty limited access to things like video fluoroscopy or fees. And so I think the more that we can think creatively to address dysphagia management, not just in the United States, but also kind of more globally, I think the more that we can have a larger impact on patients overall. Wonderful. Kara, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to the convention.
Learn more from Kara Donahue. Kara will be presenting multiple times as part of the 2023 ASHA convention. She'll be speaking on dysphagia management and ALS, metatherapy and dysphagia rehab, data related to patients who've had cardiac surgery, and mentorship. Find the full convention planner online. We'll put a link to it on the blog post for this episode at on.ashra.org slash podcast. We'll also share a link where you can register for Meet the Masters, where Kara will be speaking. The free in-person event takes place in Boston on November 15th. Subscribe to the ASHA Voices podcast and hear more conversations about artificial intelligence in the podcast archive, including interviews with the presenters from the upcoming research symposium on hearing, a part of the ASHA convention. Also, look to the most recent issue of the ASHA Leader magazine for more on AI and audiology and speech-language pathology. That's online at leader.pubs.asha.org. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech-Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's online conference, Rethinking Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing, and it begins November 29th. Save $50 when you register by October 18th Learn more at on.asha.org slash pedfeeding23. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.